Chapter thirty one of Plum Pudding of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Plum Pudding of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned by Christopher Morley. The Permanence of Poetry we heard a critic remark that no great sonnets are being written nowadays what he said morosely is there in the way of a recent sonnet that is worthy to take its place in the anthologies of the future besides those of sir philip sidney milton wordsworth keats mrs browning louise guinea rupert brooke or lizette rees these were the names he mentioned this moves us to ask how can you tell it takes time for any poem to grow and ripen and find its place in the language it will be for those of a hundred or more years hence to say what are the great poems of our present day if a sonnet has the true vitality in it it will gather association and richness about it as it traces its slender golden path through the minds of readers it settles itself comfortably into the literary landscape incorporates itself subtly into the unconscious thought of men becomes corpuscular in the blood of the language it comes down to us in the accent of those who have loved and quoted it invigorated by our subtle sense of the permanent rightness of its phrasing and our knowledge of the pleasure it has given of two thousands of others the more it is quoted the better it seems all this is a slow process and an inscrutable no one has ever given us a continuous history of any particular poem tracing its history and adventures after its first publication the places it has been quoted the hearts it has rejoiced it could only be done by an infinity of toil and a prodigal largesse to clipping bureaus it would be a fascinating study showing how some poems had fought for their lives against the evaporation of time and how they have come through sometimes because they were carried and cherished in one or two appreciative hearts but the point to bear in mind is the whole question of the permanence of poetry is largely in the hands of chance if you are interested to observe the case of some really first-class poetry which has been struggling for recognition and yet shows so far no sign of breaking through into the clear light of lasting love and remembrance look at the poems of james elroy flecker generally speaking one law is plain that it is not until the poet himself and all who knew him are dead and his lines speak only with the naked and impersonal appeal of ink that his value to the race as a permanent pleasure can be justly appraised there is one more point that perhaps is worth making it is significant of human experience that the race instinctively demands in most of the poetry that it cares to take along with it as permanent baggage a certain honourable sobriety of mood consider mr burton e stevenson's great home book of verse that magnificent anthology which may be taken as fairly indicative of general taste in these matters in nearly four thousand pages of poetry only three or four hundred are cynical or satirical in temper humanity as a whole likes to make the best of a bad job it grins somewhat ruefully at the bitter and the sardonic but when it is packing its trunk for the next generation it finds most room for those poets who have somehow contrived to find beauty 
and not mockery in the inner sanctities of human life and passion this thought comes to us on reading aldous huxley's brilliant and hugely entertaining book of poems called lida there is no more brilliant young poet writing today his title poem is nothing less than extraordinary in pagan and pictorial beauty but as a whole the cynical and scoffish tone of carnal drollery which gives the book its appeal to the humorously inclined makes a very dubious sandal for a poet planning a long-distance run please note that we are not taking sides in any argument we ourselves admire mr huxley's poems enormously but we are simply trying clumsily to state what seem to us some of the conditions attaching to the permanence of beauty as arranged in words it is not to be supposed that you have done your possible when you have read a great poem once or ten times a great poem is like a briar pipe it darkens and mellows and sweetens with use you fill it with your own glowing associations and glosses and the strong juices seep through staining and gliding the grain and fibre of the words End of chapter thirty one